3: This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak.
0: back and ready to rock your socks off once again. Oh, yes, this is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro. Joined, as always, by my good friend, a man who's in a damn good mood today, it's Chris Sinzak. I don't even need to ask. I know how you're
1: doing. I'm having a back-to-back world champion kind of day.
0: Yeah, you are. (laughs) Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl champions, in case you didn't know, that's Chris Sinzak's team. You know, it's always awesome when your team wins the big one. It's a hell of a feeling.
1: Yeah, and after years of quarterbacks like Brody Croyle and Ricky Stanzi and Brady Quinn, yeah, we've got the GOAT, or at least the, the modern-day GOAT. hes He has not supplanted Tom Brady, so save your hate, but he's on his way.
0: Yeah, he's definitely on the trajectory for it. I know it's funny because I see all the hatred comments for the Chiefs, and it's just people are so sick of them being so good for so long. And I kind of thought of like, Oh, I remember when people used to talk about the Patriots like that. It's like anytime a team goes on a you know a good roll like that, man, people get mad.
1: <laughs> oh, and I totally get it because like I hated the fucking Patriots too, and yeah. if the Chiefs weren't my team, I would hate them too. So I, I get it. So I'm I don't rub it in at all. I'm just grateful that it's my team. Right
0: on. Well, if I know anything about the Decibel Geek podcast, about the worst thing we can do is talk about football.
1: So I just wanted to say congratulations. Thanks. Well, it's, it's a momentous thing, but so we'll we'll move on from that now. We got Warrant to talk about. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're bringing it back today. You guys like it when we do the best and worst of a good band and you know, today we're going to have some fun with this one because this is a band that's right in Chris and I's wheelhouse. This is something that, you know, we grew up in the era when Warrant became a big deal. So, we're going to kind of tell stories and you know because we lived through it and we were there and then we'll talk about the albums we're going to tell you the best song off each album the worst song off each album and today we're talking about the Janie Lane years before we get to all that I just want to make a quick shout out to our guy Metal Mike over at Voltage Junkie Photography because man he's been killing it with the photos and the videos and stuff he's been taking lately I heard he's become George Lynch's best friend
1: Oh, yeah? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he did some awesome uh, photos of the Lynch Mob show that happened recently.
0: Yeah, he did. And those are getting shared all over the place. So if you're not following Voltage Junkie on the YouTube, you got to subscribe to that because he's out hitting these cool shows, getting these awesome videos. And I want everybody that subscribes to the Decibel Geek Podcast to also subscribe to Voltage Junkie on YouTube. So you're it- always...
1: I think it's on Instagram.
0: It's on YouTube too now.
1: Oh, he's got the video he's got his own YouTube channel too.
0: Yeah, yeah, so he's been putting up videos on YouTube. So Instagram too, of course, you know, that's okay. his his main hub, but yeah, so when he puts out something new cuz he's hitting these shows that maybe we can't go to Maybe you can't get to that one. You get a chance to see it, and his photography and video taking is just top notch.
1: Yeah, and he sent me some Dropbox links for the some of the video stuff, so I'm gonna try to take some of that, and if I can fumble my way through video editing and figure out how to add the uh, you know the MTV style logo and everything like uh, Rock and Ron did, I'll try to figure that uh, out and get those up there too on on the uh, Despicable Geek channel.
0: Rock and Ron will be looking down from heaven, going.
1: You're doing it wrong. Oh, without a without a doubt, video editing is not my thing.
0: <laughs> oh man, I miss that guy. He would like this conversation today that we're going to have. But again, we got business to handle and when we get reviews and recommendations you know, it means a lot to us. That means you guys care enough about us to give us some good word, to give us those five stars and to let the rest of the world know that, hey, you're listening to one of the top rock and roll podcasts in the entire planet right here. And so everybody gets to see that and maybe gives Decibel Geek a chance. The party gets a little bit bigger. It's a beautiful thing. Rock and roll. That flag is flying high around here and you guys help us do it. So in celebration of that, because we're always going to read them on the show, we've got a couple of sweet five-star reviews right here from Apple Podcasts. The first one's entitled Kissmas in January. It's five stars. It says, Yeah, Kissmas in July or January. Always love the Kiss content. And that comes to us from Stanley Eisen 4 on Apple Podcasts. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Is that the Stanley Eisen? It's got to be, right? He loves the KISS content, and he spelled content with a K. That's Paul Stanley.
4: (laughs)
1: Nice. Thanks, Paul. You got time to listen to podcasts now. That's great.
0: That's good, yeah. It probably is. He's been wanting to catch up for years, and now he finally
1: can. Maybe he'll finally figure out who farted.
0: I don't know what that means.
1: Credit Baco okay Baco came up with the term resting fart face and because paul stanley always looks like he's smelling a fart in his photos
0: oh yeah that does make sense yeah okay well we got one more here i don't think it's fart involved but we'll give it a (laughs) shot anyway this one's entitled one of the best rock podcasts out there five stars i've been a decibel geek listener for quite a while and i just want to thank you for the countless hours of enjoyment and new band recommendations your best of 2023 was an awesome episode. The new bands such as Fortune Child and Roadwolf have taken over my playlist. I am most thankful that you guys introduced me to Crownlands, easily my favorite band over the past ten years. Keep up the great work and keep rock and metal alive. That comes to us from Copper Top Two via Apple Podcasts, five stars. That's why we do it every year. That final episode. Where we try to let you guys know what we think for the top ten albums of the year, Chris, you've been putting out the little flyers on the internet, you know, kind of like Poison style on the <laughs> the electric power poles or whatever <laughs> on, the, on the Sunset Strip. You're doing that on the internet, and a lot of people have been sharing them and commenting on them too. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: I just need to put more lime green into them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Crownlands, holy shit, you know, number one album for a reason. It's a damn good one, and people are grabbing up on that. That makes me happy to see that, you know, for the legends that are out there and the bands that are putting out albums that have been around for a long time, and then the people that always like to say, you know, rock and roll ain't what it used to be, well, shit, look at these bands. You know, look at Fortune Child and Road Wolf and Crownlands and Wanted and all these great new bands that are coming out. And we're helping keep that alive. It makes me feel good.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I, I get no bigger chart. Obviously, what we're doing today with Warrant, it's always fun to go through memory lane, and we're going to have fun with that. And we always do. But turning people on to bands that we dig that are newer, and then having you guys have feedback like that, that that just makes our day. So yeah. And that Crownlands Fearless album, I mean, it' not a bad song on it. That album is going to be a classic.
0: Oh, for sure. I believe it. That's one we're going to be talking about for years and looking forward to new stuff from them. So we'll be keeping our eyes open here for all these bands that are coming out with new stuff, and we'll be keeping you informed on all that, too. And you know, like Chris says, we always talk about the legends, too, so you know where our hearts are at. So if we love these kind of bands and we're telling you about these kind of bands, well, you know where we're coming from. You know what our tastes are, so you know whatever we're talking about that's new, It's got to be pretty good if it stands up with the stuff that we love from when we grew up. So, there you have it. Some sweet reviews. If you want to leave us a review or a recommendation, you can do that, too. And we will read it on the show as long as it's got all five stars. That's the little caveat. And then we'll read it. We'll tell everybody how awesome you are. And it's awesome just like that. Podchaser. Great place to do it. Apple Podcast Reviews. We love those. Facebook Recommendations. With a question mark. We'll just leave that one there. So when you help us out, we love it. We love it a lot. It tells us that our family of rock and rollers is growing and growing and growing. And someday we will take over the world. And rock and roll will rule everything once again.
3: Go to PantheonPodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
0: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
3: And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
0: We got people that help us do that. When we have a new episode that comes out, such as this one, The Best and Worst of the Warrant, the Janie Lane era, the Janie Lane years, whatever it ends up being called, and they see this on their social media, and they go, oh, yeah, got to share that, got to retweet it. When you do that, your name gets put on a list. And, man, to show our love and appreciation, we got to name you Honorary Geeks of the Week.
1: Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Rock and Ron Runyon, Kristen Schimbeck, Mark Alden-Taylor, Freeform Rock Podcast, The BS Sessions, David Cathy, Chris Fretwell, Craig Turdich, Shane Aber, John Phillips, Mark Starsky, Todd Cunningham, Shay Hargett, Derek Novak, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Mike Parnell, Darren Parkett, David Glenn, Aaron Baker, Boris Petrovsky, Brent Tibbetts, Grayson Gallegos, Joe Lescon, Keith Rockford, Eric Luzier, Pantheon Podcast, James McElhenney, Tom Logsden, Thorbjorn Olsen, Sit and Spin with Joe, John Harper, Simon Katt, Samuel Wetz, Keith Rockford, Michael Hall, Ralph Vieira, Bill Wang, Will Honeycutt, Jay Shabluski, Tom Smoke, Belmondo, Ernesto Aguiar, Alan Tate, Eladio, Bill Elam, Gregory Muse, Focus on Metal Podcast, Hawk on Bergstad, Kevin's on Fire, Vet Halen, Whiting Guitar Works, Joseph Capone, Victor Ruiz, Scott Crouch, and as always,
0: The, the Mooger, Mooger Fooger. Fooger. That's right. Those are our people. Man, they're always out there helping us spread the word of what we got going on here at the Decibel Geek Podcast. You want to hear your name included on that prestigious list right here again next time? It's real simple. You find us out there on the internet. You find the episode announcement that says the best and worst of Warrant, and you share that, you retweet it, you get added to the list, your name gets read next week. Simple as that. Thank you to everybody that does it, and thank you to Pantheon Podcast. They sponsor this show, they bring it to you, and you got to love them for it. Pantheon Podcast, they're going to help you find your new favorite music podcast. You're going to be listening to it right alongside the Decibel Geek Podcast, because we're a part of it, and we're awesome, so they got to be awesome, right? Makes sense. See, it's a whole ecosystem of rock and roll, all helping each other out, keeping it alive, kicking that ass. And that's what we're doing right here today. Talking about one of my all-time favorite bands. And, you know, they always talk about music. It's like where you come in, you know, when you discover rock and roll and you really mean something to you. For me, it's around the era of the Sunset Strip rock and roll, man. Coming out of Los Angeles, all these great bands. Talking about Motley Crue and Quiet Riot and Poison and Rat and all these awesome bands that I love so much. And then there's more, and more comes, and more comes, and one day I get turned on to a band called Warrant, and I go, "Holy shit, these guys are just like the other stuff that I like. It fits right in with everything." So I got to imagine you got to have the same experience as me, right? Saw them on MTV, and we're like, "Damn, that's awesome!"
1: Yeah, I remember seeing, you know, because I always talk a lot about. I used to come home from school. This was metal had gotten so big around eighty-eight, eighty-nine that MTV could not help ignore it like they at the back back in the day before that it was just you get it on headbangers ball and every once in a while you'd see a metal video so 88 89 they started doing that show Hard 30 and they also had a version called Hard 60 cuz even that was more popular where in the middle of the afternoon they would do a block of metal videos and usually you'd have a rock star like Paul Stanley or somebody on there to you know introduce the videos And just like I mentioned in the past, I discovered Roxy Blue and Tora Tora from that show. And same thing with Warrant. I saw them do the, I think it was the world premiere of the Down Boys video. Like, they had Push on their first single. Oh, yeah. So they definitely must have had good word of mouth through the L.A. scene. Because I remember somebody, I don't remember what Rockstar was hosting the show that week, but I remember them throwing to the video and i remember kind of laughing at it for at first because they were doing like choreographed moves where they like they all fall on their knees and headbang yeah, in unison
2: yeah.
1: and i was and also eric turner doing the whole thing where he's flicking his tongue out like gene simmons in the video and yeah. i was just i remember thinking that's lame that's gene's gimmick don't do that but i couldn't help but like the song so it was a catchy tune and and we'll talk more about it as we get into the albums but yeah that the down boys video was definitely my first exposure
0: Right on. So, the original version of Warrant is formed in L.A. in 1984, featuring guitarist Eric Turner and bassist Jerry Dixon. In 1986, Janie Lane and Stephen Sweet of Plain Jane would join the band. By 87, Joey Allen joins up, and the classic lineup of Warrant is born. They make a pretty immediate impact on the Sunset Strip and even catch the attention of Prince, who flips the bill for the band to record a demo for Paisley Park Records. In the end, Prince would pass on the band saying, This white kid can sing, and the band has potential, but motherfucker can't dance. That's why Prince passes on him. <laughs> dance pretty good in that Down Boys video, I'll give him that. Not to Prince's standards, I'm afraid. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, how can they live up to Prince's standards?
1: I mean, Kevin Dubrow couldn't do that.
0: No, no, none of them. So that's okay. The cool thing is Prince doesn't even charge him for it. He says, good luck. You know, they take the tape and they go, they're going to be fine. They end up with a song on the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure soundtrack. And after a kind of a bidding war, the band ends up signing with Columbia, who hooks them up with Bo Hill to produce their debut album. Now, Bo Hill, man, he's used to working with guys like Kane Roberts, Gary Moore, and Warren Martini. He loves the songs, But he just doesn't think Eric Turner and Joey Allen can cut the snuff when it comes to the guitar solos. Bo brings in British guitarist Mike Slammer. He creates all the solos for the album, which Eric and Joey got to learn so they can play them live. So the album is finished. It's put on hold until after Christmas of 88. Around this time, Janie Lane walks in on his best friend banging his woman. This will come into play later.
1: <laughs> yes, for sure.
0: What a terrible thing to walk in on that. you not just you lost your girlfriend, but you also lost your best buddy. How lame. But we'll we'll get to that. Columbia sends the band on a quick tour with the DeMals and Britney Fox's opening acts. On January 31st, 1989, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy, Stinkin' Rich is released featuring an insane cover of artwork of a guy, a creature called Cashley Guido Buxley. What a strange album cover. Uh, yeah. If you didn't already
1: know what you were looking for, you would look at that and go, what is this? Well, and then the, the mascot appears in the video for Big Talk.
0: That's right.
1: And it uh, looks even more ridiculous in the video.
0: Awesome video.
1: It's a great video. <laughs>
0: The first single, Down Boys, goes to number 27 on the U.S. singles charts. But quintessential 80s power ballad, Heaven, reaches number two. Yep. So now Warrant, they're instantly one of the most popular bands in the world. They're all over MTV. They're all over the radio. Hell, their VHS home video, Dirty Rotten, Filthy, Stinking Rich Live even goes platinum. The album goes to number 10 on the U.S. album charts. And sells double platinum in the U.S. I mean, this has got to be on a list somewhere for one of the most successful debut albums of the '80s, man. It's it's huge right off the bat. So here we are, 1989, dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking rich. It's the debut album from Warrant.
1: Yeah, I um, I like the record overall. I don't know that it's aged as well as I thought it would have because. I don't really go back and listen to Warrant very often, aside from Dog Eat Dog, which, of course, you know, we'll talk about in depth. But it was interesting to go back and listen to this one again. Obviously, I knew all the hits and stuff, but it, I hadn't gone back and listened to the deep cuts in a long, long time. Um, I think 32 Pennies is not a great opening track on this album. I think Down Boy should have been the opening track. Um, I like the song, but it's, I just think it's kind of a boring, you know, entry song to the band. Um, of the ballads i think heaven is better sometimes she cries is a good album is a good song but it's just sort of just okay i don't know that it needed two ballads on this album to start with and i'm the ballad guy saying that yeah. um for me if i had to go with the best i'm gonna go with big talk i think that should have been a much bigger hit than it than wow. it was <laughs> I, you probably hate it right um i think it's a fun anthem- anthemic song it uh for worst i'll pick and th- it'd be funny if we're reversed on this i'm gonna pick for worst i'm gonna pick so damn pretty i don't think that's a very good song at all
0: all right okay so big talk's the best and so damn pretty is the worst <laughs> so when i went through this i just listened song by song gave it a plus or a minus 32 yeah. pennies i gave a plus i love the guitar tone on it i love the cleverness of the lyrics like i love her and she loves me but to the pennies, it's all the same. I mean, there's there's some really cool, clever stuff in a lot of these lyrics. Janie Lane, as we're going to discover through all this thing, is a hell of a wordsmith, mm-hmm. you know? And even when he's not even trying, he can come up with some pretty remarkable stuff. But, I mean, there's a lot of cool lyrics going on in here. Um, yeah, I like that song. I like 32 Pennies. I, yeah, maybe not the song to kick off the album. Maybe it should have been Down Boys, but which is another great song. That one got a plus for me. I mean, it's a great riff.
1: It's got the cheesy keyboard you know, behind the chorus, but... You know the, that Down Boys is a complete ripoff of a car song.
2: Yeah,
0: Warrant's kind of good for that. Warrant kind of grabs other stuff, and Janie's able to apply what he does to other formulas no. pretty well.
1: Well, let me... Let me be more clear. It's a direct rip off of the Cars song "By, Bye uh, By Love," and if you, I, I on my Facebook page I recently posted, but you can look it up on YouTube. There's somebody that separate. You know, you can now get technology where you can separate out tracks and mix them up and everything. Right. Somebody, this guy took, and I think it's called the Art of Guitar as the channel because I want to make sure I give credit where it's due. He took, he did one version where he took Janie's vocals off of Down Boys and then integrated it on top of the music for Bye Bye Love. Works perfectly. Wow. Then he did the reversed, took Rico Kasich's voice off the Cars track, put it over the Warrant music, works perfectly. Wow. It's the same song.
0: Heavy metal Cars. (laughs) Yeah. That's wild. Um, I like it nonetheless. I like both them songs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I like the Cars song too.
0: Uh, Sometimes She Cries. I gave that one a minus. I mean, boy, man, sometimes I listen to this album, and like you say, you go back now, and maybe it hasn't aged as well. And I think that's because Columbia Records was like, what's Capitol doing over there? They got these dudes. They got their faces painted up like hot chicks, but they're rocking and surrounded by other hot chicks. And they're selling how many records? We need one of those. And so that's why it was such a big deal to get Warrant and why probably so many people different, why so many different labels were bidding for him was because they're like, we need one of those. And then it's Warrant and they're like, that's perfect, you know, maybe even a little better in some ways. To me, sometimes she cries, man, it just, it sounds like a poison song to me.
1: I think it sounds like a Michael Bolton ballad yeah i mean it's it's like adult contemporary territory
0: totally is i mean but it was it did what it was supposed to do because now the dudes that are like down boys yeah i want to go where the down boys go (laughs) now all of a sudden the ladies are like you know hey we might let you go where the down boys go because we're into it now too and the ladies loved it they still do you know it's a power ballad icon it was a huge hit and it it broke them you know it made it so like the dudes liked the band because you heard songs that rocked a little harder but then the girls heard it and now everybody loves this band and that's part of what made this so huge so damn pretty i gave that one a plus i like that one quite yeah. a bit i mean it's a hard rockin' tune it's got killer guitar it's almost thrashy i love it and then it's weird these albums like so you go from like a cars rip off type song to uh, 32 pennies the big talk you know sometimes she cries sounds like a poison ballad. but then you get so damn pretty and it's heavy as hell you know and just just chugs you know heavy like, as hell you don't think so. it's it's almost thrash
3: metal <laughs>
1: I got a, more like a southern rock vibe off that song.
0: Yeah, them guitars are pretty heavy in that. I, I say it's like warrant metal style.
1: I just thought it was generic sounding.
0: In the Sticks, man, that's kind of another Poison Clone song, but it's still good. I don't like that one either. I don't
1: like the title track either.
0: No. Uh, Heaven, I gave that one of my... It's just... It's another song and that'll never be forgotten. Okay, you Ballad for the Ladies.
1: You don't like it, but you have to... You have to respect it as a song.
0: Oh, I do respect it as a song. I mean, it's well-written. It's something that's super catchy. When you hear it, you know it. You kind of, what am I doing? Oh, shit, I'm swaying back and forth. What's going on? hope nobody saw that, you know, but it's a song that'll live forever. It'll never be forgotten. When we're all dead and gone, somebody's still going to be listening to heaven. So, I mean, you got to respect it. Riding high, that one gets a plus, man. That song kicks like old school A C D C. You I listen like to one. it until it kicks in, it's like it's got great guitars, it's got great background vocals. It's kinda like an A C D C song. And then Cold Sweat rounds off the album, that one gets a plus two. That one reminds me of like uh man, there's a lot of influences being shared on this album, but this one reminds me of like a Derek Saint Holmes Ted Nugent song.
1: I can see it, that. I like I like the last two songs for sure.
0: And it's a good ripping song. My CD's also got a couple of demos on it. It's got uh, Only a Man and All Night Long, which I can see why those didn't make the cut. And then the Game of War song, Game of War, was on the Bill and Ted's excellent soundtrack, Excellent Adventure soundtrack. I see that. But I can see why that one didn't make the cut either. For me, what'd you say the best were? The best and the worst? Your best was Big Talk, mm-hmm. and the worst, worst was. So Damn Pretty. So Damn Pretty. I like So Damn Pretty. My best. Is the title track "Dirty Rotten Filthy oh. Stinking Rich"? It's got man the powerful drums, the the rhythm is. It's got such a great groove. It's not about banging. It's not about being in love. I love the guitar solo and the breakdown before the solo is just killer on that song. Man, "Dirty Rotten Filthy Stinking Rich," I think easily the best song on this album. Yes.
4: And I'll be done.
0: how different co-hosts can be sometimes i think the worst song on this album is big talk i mean it's
1: just
0: it's kind of it's kind of generic typical 80s big chorus it's like a journey song it's got a great video with a ninja an electric chair and (laughs) all kinds of crazy shit going on in the video maybe to distract you how weird the song is but yeah just a little too cheesy for me i think that's the worst song on the album i'm surprised you think it's the best
1: it's well, it's, it's my favorite. I don't know yeah. that it's, as far as well, the like you know, the what makes a great song, I don't know that it's the best. It's just my to me, it's the best from in my opinion,
0: right? And when we do the best and worst of any band, it's always the best and worst according to us and have you know, what do we know? Sure. We always want to hear your comments, of course, in the comments section. What's your favorite song? And least favorite song off dirty rotten filthy stinking rich
1: well yeah I'll be interested to see the feedback because we're pretty polar opposite on this one we'll yeah. see it'll be interesting to see how far apart we are on the other ones but I don't know I mean you know what you view what you view makes a great song is different than what I view so it's yeah. like and also I think I notice that you're very lyrically inspired yeah. like like you focus on the lyrics I'm music first so I don't even, I don't even get to the lyrics you know, analysis until I like the music first.
0: I think I'm kind of the same way, too. I mean, to me, it's got to be the music, but then, you know, I mean, there's songs I like that are stupid, you know?
1: (laughs) There's a lot of songs I like that are stupid.
0: (laughs) So it's not always about the lyrics, but to me, I mean, I, I like, I guess I'm a poet in a kind of a way where, like, clever lyrics and plays on words and the way things flow, you know, always kind of mean a lot to me too and i think it's that's what makes the song it's the music and it's stuff like that and the more i don't know it's just i don't know it's it's an art thing you know it's just how everybody sees it you look at the same painting everybody sees a hundred different things you hear the same song some people love it some people hate it to us that's the best and worst off of there so after the massive success of dirty rotten filthy stinking rich warrant hits the road opening for the Paul Stanley Band. Immediately, that's where they go when they come out with that album. And then from there, they share the stage with bands like Rat and Cinderella and Poison and Tesla and Great White Queensryche. They tour all over the United States. And then, towards the end of 89, they join the Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood Tour as the opening act. This tour puts Warren in nearly every major arena in the United States. And if there's an infallible formula for making a band huge in the late 80s, early 90s, man, Warren's following it perfectly. Because now they're out there and everybody's seeing them opening for crew. And they've seen them with all these other cool bands. So after their time with the crew winds up, Columbia has them back in Los Angeles. Same studio, same producer, same Mike slammer. And the working title of the album is Uncle Tom's Cabin. Until a very last minute request from Columbia for an anthemic song. Something, you know, like loving an elevator or pour some sugar on me. You can give me something like that. Well, the result is the song Cherry Pie, which Janie Lane pretty effortlessly writes on a pizza box in the course of a couple of hours. Janie Lane requests CeCe DeVille to play the guitar solo on the song because they're friends. And because he's hoping to land that opening spot on the upcoming Flesh and Blood tour, the label loves the song so much that the entire marketing strategy for the album changes. Cherry Pie is released on September 11, 1990. The album surpasses the success of the debut and reaches number 7 on the U.S. album charts. All four singles chart in the top 100 with the songs Cherry Pie, and that cheating girlfriend, shitty friend-inspired, I Saw Red, both topping the top 10. And yes, they did get the opening spot on that Poison World Tour. So here we are, 1990. It's supposed to be one thing, but then the record company goes, nope, we're going to do this instead. Man, were they right, because it's huge for them. It's cherry pie.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things where it looks like, you know, corporate greed that led them to push them for the single and then, you know, circle the wagons around it because they they could they saw the, the potential of it commercially. But you can't fault them. I mean, it was a huge fucking success. Yeah. So if, I mean, you can't really blame the record company for tying the whole thing to that song because it had radio hit written all over it. And it's just... I hate to say it but it's like the dumbing down of America. It's like, you know, if you write the 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 most base, lowest common denominator song, it can reach the biggest number of people. And yeah. I hate to 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 put it that way but it's true. I mean, that's why you have Macarena becoming a giant hit, you know, a few years later. Yeah. But sometimes I don't know, to reference Gene Simmons, who's made this reference in the past, sometimes you want filet mignon and sometimes you want a greasy hamburger. Well, this is a greasy hamburger. Um, But not to – I know Janie didn't like it for his legacy. It hurt them legacy-wise. But at the time, they struck while the iron was hot. They made a fortune off of it. Um, But there's tons of great songs on this record aside from that. Um, Obviously, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Would have been a great album title. Would have been a great lead single. I saw Red, amazing ballad, very heavy subject matter. I mean, imagine, you know walking in on a guy banging your girl. That's awful. It's your best friend and your best friend. Yeah, I mean that's like that's a lifetime movie.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, um, I think Janie Lane's whole life might be a lifetime movie.
1: Yeah, probably. Um, Better roses decent song kind of a middle of the road melodic rock tune but good um i like bon jovi's version better different song though um i don't know i like a few things on this i I think um i don't want to belabor every song here i think train train was a dumb cover i don't know that it was that it needed to happen ode to tipper gore that is definitely a sign of the times because the pmrc was still in everyone's ear so, you know, let's let's fuck let's tell Tipper Gore to fuck herself. You know and what the
0: story is with that?
1: No, I don't.
0: So, they had this live footage of the band for one show. And so they give it to the engineer and they go, "We want to release this, but we need you to cut all the swear words out of it." So, instead of just going through and cutting all the swear words out, he made a collage of all the swear words that he cut out, and that whole thing is just one setting of a performance of warrant and Janie Glain goes, I swear that much. And they go, yeah, you do.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, and you know, I, I, get why they threw it on the record. It's not a song though. I mean, let's no. be honest. Uh-uh. Um, but like, and but it's weird. You mentioned game of war before, which it's confusing. Why is game of war listed on here on the expanded version of cherry pie?
0: Uh, maybe because it's a extra track perhaps, and it came out in between? I don't know. Yeah, And it never made it on to the first album, so maybe it's as an expanded track, maybe something they added on extra to it.
1: But I mean, you've got Game of War, the demo on here, you've got the demo for The Power, and then you've got like like the most underrated song that was never really released on a record for Warrant, which is Thin Disguise.
0: Oh, that's a great song.
1: It is such a good song. I mean, honestly, though, it does sound like like the theme song for like an action show on cbs on friday night or something it does it's got that very commercial sound to it but it's a great it's a very well written song and the lyrics on it are actually pretty deep yeah. but but the but musically it's like man this sounds like the beginning of macgyver or something <laughs> um but i i like a lot of i like this album a lot more than i like um the first album personally um if I have to pick a best I'm going to pick Mr Rainmaker the That's a great song. I love the the way the, the riffs work together on that song. And it's kind of, I mean, I, I think it was a single, but it, but it's kind of underrated in their, in their catalog. And then for worst, I would pick Song and Dance, man. I don't think there's really a horrible song on this record, but I don't like that one that much. Hmm. Okay. Well,
0: as far as mine goes, I mean, there's a lot of great songs on here. I yeah. really like this. And I felt bad listening to it going, you know what? I don't revisit this one enough. And I think it's kind of the cherry pie thing. And it's like, eh, cherry pie, you know, that's not, that's no dog eat dog, you right. know, and then you grab dog eat dog and listen to it. And so with this one, you know, listen back to it. Uncle Tom's Cabin is one of my all time favorite songs. I mean, it's so good. It's the song I wish people would think of when they thought of Warren <laughs> instead of Cherry Pie. It's got like a country ballad intro that freaking explodes it's the story lyrics that paints a movie in your head when you listen to it. Mm-hmm. I love everything about this song. I mean, maybe even the banjo.
1: You know that's his uh, Janie's brother
0: playing the banjo part. Yeah, and that part towards the end where he's, oh my god, Tom, who are we gonna tell? You know, and that yeah. the way he fucking screams that. You know, it comes out with so much power. God, that song is so good. It's
1: very, uh, it's very cinematic.
0: Yeah, and it's got a lot of up and down, and it takes you on a ride, and there's punches and kicks in it that are just out of this world.
4: As soon as they were gone, got down. Real, real hard that we wouldn't make a sound. Running through the
0: Love that song so much. Um I saw red, you know I'm not the ballad guy, but man, that's emotional as fuck. You know, it's intense lyrics and it I like the way, like Warren's, Janie Lane is good at this too, you know. This song, it switches, it starts out, it's like bright and pretty, and then all of a sudden it's really dark, you know. And then for a ballad, it's got some amazing bass guitar in it too that's kind of buried and kind of hidden, that kind of comes out and then falls back. And, man, Janie's vocals right before the solo when it kicks in, and he's like he's mad, and he's mad and he's singing it's like, oh, shit, you know, Janie Lane's voice is out of this world, man. He makes you feel things. He can, he's like a, one of them guys, clairvoyance, where they can make you feel what they're feeling. This guy does that with his voice. Like, you know, I don't know, his, just the way he sings is so emotional. There's a lot of
1: pain in that song.
0: Yeah, whether it's a lot of pain or it's a lot of banging or it's a lot of partying <laughs> or it's a lot of whatever's going on, murder, you know, you kind of feel it you gotta you gotta give it up for i saw red i mean as far as ballads go that's the real deal yeah bed of roses i'm not a fan of that one that's kind of again it's they're trying to out poison poison and maybe doing it i mean it's still not bad
1: it's a that's a very poison song
0: yeah it's got an awesome breakdown before the guitar solo uh sure feels good to me is one i always liked it's a high energy rocker about fucking you gotta love that warren's always good for those ripping guitar solo loving stereo you know it's a high energy rocker about fucking fucking twins gotta love that yeah threesome (laughs) another fun song with great guitars it's got some jerry lee lewis style piano going on in there it's kind of neat uh blind faith is another ballad that's pretty damn cool it's like it starts out as a sweet love ballad and then it kicks into this heavy groove thing and Janie Lane's vocals are killer on it That's, you know you give me hell and say oh I'm the ballad guy and you're not you know but man when a ballad's really good you can't even deny it that's a good one two good ballads on this album Uh, song and dance man I like it I like that song a lot starts out mellow and then it kind of explodes it's got awesome lyrics that one might be that one might be number one I don't know
1: we're so fucking different
0: yeah, you're the only hell your mom ever raised. I mean, that's yeah, kind of cheesy, but it's still awesome. Kind of reminds me of like a Queen song. That one you was know?
1: almost my least favorite.
0: Really? Yeah, that one's pretty close for me. Um, Train Train, I like the Blackfoot cover. I think it's really cool. And uh, my best on here, I'm going to agree with you. I think it's Mr. Rainmaker. It's one of their best songs. And the whole band just kills on this tune. It's got awesome vocals. The background vocals sound great. It's another one. It's a cool kind of a picture story kind of. You feel it. You feel yeah. the song. It's it's got a coolness to it, and I like that a lot. That's number one for me. And man, you know, I was riding in the car. This was a couple of weeks ago, and I'm listening to the Free Beer and Hot Wings show in the morning, and they're talking about bad music lyrics. And they're like, "What are some of the worst lyrics in music?" And that Kelly Cheese goes, "Oh, how about this one?" Swinging on the front porch, swinging on the lawn. Swinging where we want because there ain't nobody home. Swinging to the left and swinging to the right. I'm thinking about baseball. I'll swing all night. I love that line. And I go, yeah, that's pretty
1: bad. (laughs) Yeah, but it's relatable. Who hasn't used that one?
0: I don't know. That's a funny joke, thinking about baseball, but I don't think anybody actually
1: does it. But it also includes the lyric, I mixed up the batter and she licked the beater. Licked the beater, yeah.
0: That's what I immediately thought then. was like, <laughs> well, that might have been a better example, but they probably didn't want to say she licked the beater on the radio. Well, so. honestly,
1: it sounds like a band doing a serious version of a Spinal Tap song.
0: Yeah, kind of. It's almost meant to
1: be comical.
0: But for how goofy it is and how silly the video was it's so catchy and i mean you can't do this without talking about bobby brown in the video that was another huge part about it because the girls are watching it because they like warrant the guys are watching it because they love to rock and then all of a sudden you get bobby brown in the video and it's like what is going on here Wow. And it's all six, and it's all sexual innuendo through the whole thing. That's another thing I like about Warren too is, you know, they're they can be super heavy and then they can be super mellow and then they can be just hard rocking and funny and all these things. But within all that, there's also a very sexual kind of thing to it. And there's a lot of that in a lot of these songs too. And cherry pie is God, it's the king of that shit. You know, that's one of the like you. Fifty years from now, when they're putting together a list of like the sexiest songs, Cherry Pie has got to be on
1: that list. Well, I will admit the song sounds a lot better while you're watching the video. (laughs) The video does a whole lot for that song.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it definitely does. So, yeah, my worst is going to be Cherry Pie, maybe on principle, and I'm going to agree with you best is Mr. Rainmaker, one of their greatest songs ever.
1: Nice. We, we agree on something.
0: Yeah. So as we know now, Warren is definitely going on tour with Poison, and they do that for quite a while after the album comes up. The tour wraps up in January of 91. These guys are staying busy. They immediately jump onto a European tour opening for David Lee Roth until March, and then they immediately headline three shows in Australia. Then it's right back to the United States to headline the Blood, Sweat, and Beers Tour, which runs until October, and then they go back into the studio, this time with Michael Wagner. And also this time eric turner and joy allen play guitars on the entire album now if you want to know the whole story of the creation of this album i recommend you check out episode 223 where we give the album the album's unleashed treatment with michael wagner who breaks down the entire process for us and it's an amazing story i'm just gonna be upfront with this dog eat dog is one of my desert island albums like if i only get to bring 10 albums with me i'm Doggy Dog's probably going to be in that stack. It's released on August 25, 1992. The album goes to number 25 in a time when selling half a million records is considered a failure. Four singles are released, but they all receive minimal airplay on MTV and none of them chart in the U.S. It's around this time that Janie Lane visits the Columbia Records Los Angeles office to find that the framed beautiful warrant poster up in the lobby has been replaced by a poster of Alice in Chains. Columbia has already moved on. But the album's coming out anyway. And what's crazy is like, the first album was so successful, and it's pretty good. And the second album was so successful, and it's got some great stuff on it too. But you can't even come close to touching what this band does with Dog Eat Dog. Like I talk about I do the the plus and minus thing when I do this. Yeah. there's no minuses on this album. same here. It's a perfect album. It's so good. It's got elements of everything. It's got heavy stuff. It's got introspective stuff. It's got the love hearts the heart love stuff that the ladies will like too. It's got a little bit of everything
1: on here, man. It's so good. Oh, I will say there's one minus on here, and I'll get to it when I tell you what my least favorite is. Okay. All right.
0: Well, this is a tough one, man. I don't even know. I haven't even picked anything yet. I'm still staring at the list going, how do I pick a best because there's so many good ones, and how do I pick a worst because, I mean, do I cheat and go with the bonus track?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't do that. (laughs) Oh.
0: Shit, I don't know. You what do you got? Yeah.
1: All right, I'll go first. So, man, this album is such a masterpiece. And I never thought I'd say that about a Warrant record. Because I like Warrant, but, I mean, there's always... You can always take pot shots and find filler here and there. But this album, Jesus Christ, this is a band that was 100% focused. And I thought, because, like, Janie, as you, you know, not to go too far back into Cherry Pie here, but, like... They dedicated the song Cherry Pie to Don I Enter from the record company. Yeah. And it was purely a fuck you to him. Yeah. Because of him going, hey, we need a radio single on here. It was their way of saying fuck you. So you know that that fueled them going into making this record where right. they were like, we are not going for a fucking radio hit. And you could tell they went all in on it. And Michael was the perfect conduit as a producer to do that. Yes. So the it's the best. Bo Hill did good with the albums he did with them. because And I love Bo Hill as Rat's producer because he got the best out of them that he could. Yeah. But with Warren, it was just it sounded so similar to Rat that Mike Slamer's all of his solos sound just like Warren D. Martini's as far as tone and compression and sound and everything. But... And the drums always had that very overly compressed sound, but Michael got the best sound out of this band. Yep. And I'm not saying that just because we're friendly with the guy. The guy's a legend for a reason. The gang vocals are bigger than ever. The guitars sound huge. The bass is thunder. Like everything on this album is produced as perfectly as you can produce it. Oh yeah. So I there's I it's hard to really pick at least. There's one song. That stands out because I think they were playing into trends on this one song. Everything else about this record, because some people tried to make claim that this is their grunge album. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like people oh, this is Warrant trying to be a grunge band. I don't think so at all. Not at all. I, I think this was their natural progression into this sound. Much like Slave to the Grind with Skid Row was their progression. Now, Skid Row went off the tracks with Subhuman Race. That was following trends, in my opinion. And um, Warrant will do that after this record, too. And we'll get to my thoughts on that. But this album was them going with the flow of where th- where things are going with them. And it's produced perfectly. And the guitar playing is top-notch. Credit to Eric and Joey on this. Yes. Um, and I just love everything about this album. Um, I don't think Machine Gun was the right choice as the first single. I would have done Hole in My Wall. Because it had enough of the old school sound, but still had a tough sound to it. Machine Gun, I don't think that was the, the right choice for the first single, but I like the song. Um, if I'm going to pick a best, I'm going to pick Bitter Pill, because I think it's so epic sounding. Mm. And it's the it's lyrically brilliant. It's got all of those voices on that middle thing, including Michael Wagner speaking in German. Uh-huh. And... It's just such a giant song that has so many twists and turns, but God, I could have picked anything off here. I mean, I could have picked April twenty thirty one with the you know, the whole apocalyptic view and even sad Teresa, which goes back to the plain Jane days, that song's amazing. The solo one that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I would go with Bitter Pill for Best And the only reason I'm picking it as worse is because it's such an obvious ripoff is Hollywood So Far So Good. It's such an obvious ripoff of Jane Says by Jane's Addiction. I mean, Michael even told us that when they recorded it. Because yeah. uh, Janie had been out seeing them live, I think, at the time that they recorded the song. And he wrote it kind of. And it's, uh, maybe it's not a ripoff, but more of an homage because it was what he was into at the time. But it sounds just like Jane says, so I'm, I'm going to make that my least favorite.
2: Hmm,
0: okay, all right. Um, Man, this is tough. I mean, Machine Gun, I think it's a great album opener because it's powerful. It's got a super great hook to it that grabs you. April 2031, man, that's some kind of far out shit right there. It's scary. You know, it's only seven years away. I know. <laughs> so well-written. That
1: tells you how old we're getting.
0: That's another one that paints a picture in your head, and it's not a pleasant one. Janie Lane was good at that shit. The next song, Andy Warhol was right. There's some lyrical genius in that, too, that makes that song scary as hell. Like, April 2031, and Andy Warhol was right. Couldn't have been on Cherry Pie, and it couldn't have been on the debut. That stuff is insanely different from anything else that came before it. Bonfire, I love. It's a super heavy, just ripping song. Man, Bitter Pill, that that thing should have been a massive hit. If Columbia would have just stuck with them with this album and said, no, we're going to push you one more time, just one more time, push them, Bitter Pill would be one of those songs that everybody would know.
1: It kind of had that crossover potential with what was going on in music.
0: Yeah, it it should have been huge. It's an outstanding song. It's got a just a stellar guitar solo to it. And it's beautiful and it's rocking at the same time. You know, it's there's something special about that song. More people need to hear that one. Hollywood So far, so good. I don't know. I think it's a fun song. I think that one could have fit on Dirty Rotten Filthy Stinkin' Rich. That seems like that kind of style of song. All my bridges are burning is fucking epic. That's that just an awesome song. Quicksand is like a dark ballad that I think could yeah. also probably been a hit song if it would have been released with a video and all that stuff. Yep. Let It Rain is another dark ballad. I mean, you're getting some ballads on here, but they're darker ballads. You know, they're, they're not, you know, I'm in love and come on back and I miss you and all that shit. You know, there's some deep, dark stuff going on in these songs. And I'm really surprised at that one when I list back to it that no country artist has ever tried to cover that.
1: Oh, God, there's so much of music that Janie Lane wrote that would transfer so well to the country genre. Yeah. But so there's tons of songs that, that could yeah. be giant hits for country artists.
0: We'll talk a little more about that later. I got thoughts. Yeah. Um Inside Out, oh man, that's Scream at the beginning of the song. And this is Warren's heaviest song. This is this is Warrant Thrash right here. Yeah. That song kills. And like say even Sad Teresa kind of set apart from the rest. It's an old pre-warrant song, but man, it's still really cool. I don't know. It's hard to pick a best because they're all so awesome. I love the hole in my wall. I just I yeah. that song is maybe my favorite warrant song of them all. Just because there's so much going on in it and it's heavy and it's sexy and it's just got everything I love
1: about a hard rock song. I love the backward vocal effect on it too.
0: Yeah, there's cool effects in this stuff. Man, awesome. Hole in my wall. Mmm, kicks ass. <laughs> And there ain't no bad songs on here. And you're not letting me go with Lincoln's, Mercury's, and Ford's, which is like a Van Halen, Ice Cream Man kind of thing.
1: You can't pick that one.
0: It is the worst.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but you you cannot make the bonus (laughs) Ah, track the worst, the least.
0: Okay, then I'm going to go with... They're all so good. I guess I'm going to go with Let It Rain. Okay. Because it's just kind of country-ish, I guess. And it's not even country-ish. I just hear that, like, if a country artist would cover that today, it could be something massive for somebody.
1: It's kind of wild how similar Dog Eat Dog and "Slave to the Grind are, though. Because, like, the well, the ball- same producer, um, yeah. the ballads are darker, heavier subject matter, you know, and it's bands in the middle of a transitional phase. So, it, like, both those albums kind of mirror each other.
0: Well, and in the same way, I feel like when... When Warrant and Skid Row both get signed by their respective labels, those labels are looking to fill a position
1: Mm.
0: of something that they see somebody else has that they want. So that first album for Skid Row, the first two for Warrant are a little prefab. I mean, you can't take all their style and all their own influence. They're the band writing the songs. But man, there's a heavy thumb on those bands for those albums
1: and which is why a lot of people correctly i'll admit um chalk up the end of hair metal to that type of behavior and and it's true now while those skid row and warren albums are great it also led to a cavalcade of wannabes and pre-manufactured bands from from labels
0: yeah. And then when they get that success where the label backs off a little bit, then you get something extraordinary where you go, damn, where's this band been all along? Yeah. And that's to say like the first two albums are really damn good. Mm-hmm. But this man, this just can't be touched. It's amazing.
1: No, it stands alone. And like I the it still blows me away how much love we get for the interview we did with Michael for that because when we did it, I remember Aaron and I both were like, well, we like it, but who the fuck else does? Because it was not popular. right? And then we put it out thinking it's great to have Michael on. We'll get some numbers from that, but it's dog eat dog. And it was just a wave of love that we still get to this day for that album from people. And they loved hearing all those, you know, insider stories, but like, you know this one is it? it what the, the the phrase cult favorite you know it definitely fits this one
0: yeah half a million people bought it and like i say when that comes out man that's considered a failure that's ridiculous but you know that still goes back to the whole power shift in rock music which we can't even crack that can of worms today or we'll never get back to this subject <laughs> after that They're on the Gladiator soundtrack. No, not the Russell Crowe Gladiator thing. It's a boxing movie. And they've got two songs on the soundtrack, The Power, which you mentioned earlier, which is an amazing song. I love it. That song could have been a single, I think. If that would have came out, was on Cherry Pie, Mm -hmm. they could have released that as a single, I think. And then the awesome cover of We Will Rock You by Queen. Yep, It's Warren's last charting single.
1: I had the k- single of that with the cardboard nice. uh, case.
0: I like that version. I got to imagine Queen fans probably just puke when they hear it. But it, it's I one love of
1: those it. that I liked at the time. But listening to it now in context, I'm like, I could see why Queen fans didn't like this. Oh,
0: I could <laughs> totally see why Queen fan Queen fans would hate that. But yeah. I think that's awesome. But
1: I like, yeah, we liked it then because they're like, that's oh, this is I a hot, hot new band and they're upgrading it. But like in hindsight, it's like, well, maybe, maybe not.
0: I don't know. That's kind of how I still feel.
1: <laughs> it's okay for what it is, but it's also like if I'm a Queen fan going back to '75, I'd be like, "What the fuck?"
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but the guitars are way more better.
1: Uh, no comment. I don't wanna get. I'll let Aaron get all the hate for this one.
0: I found something interesting. In 1993, there was a demo for a song called Last Action Hero. I guess it didn't make the cut for the soundtrack, but it's still a pretty cool song if you can find that on YouTube.
1: I'll have to look that up. I haven't heard of that one.
0: So then after the release of Dog Eat Dog, Warrant flies to Switzerland to open a show for Iron Maiden. Then they join Maiden, Pantera, Megadeth, Black Sabbath, and Testament in Italy for Monsters of Rock 92. They then embark on the doggy Dog Tour with Lynch Mob and Tora Tora as opening acts.
1: Man, I would have loved to have seen that.
0: It only lasts a month. And then Columbia drops the band.
1: I wonder if that's the tour. There's video of Warrant playing at the Cajun Dome in Louisiana. And I think it was around this time. It might have been that tour. And they opened up. I think they opened up with a cover of Balls to the Wall by Accept. Oh, wow. And Janie is just working his ass off. And it sounds great, but you could tell that like the crowd was just not being receptive to it.
0: Yeah, sucks.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Warrant returns for three shows in February of 1993. But Janie Lane, he's going to split to give it a go as a solo artist. Lane's going to work on a project called Jabberwocky, but that album's ultimately never going to get released so Janie Lane returns to Warrant, but the band only plays around 10 shows in all of 1994. Around this time, guitarist Joey Allen and drummer Steven Sweet leave the band. They're replaced by former Kingdom Come members Rick Steyer and the late James Kotak. Janie's return leads to Warrant being signed by CMC International and Pony Canyon Records in Japan, where the rise of American grunge had no effect on the band's popularity there. CMC intends this to be the band's big comeback album and even brings back classic producer Bo Hill. The result is Warren's fourth full-length studio album, Ultrophobic. I learned something about rock and roll in 1995 when Ultraphobic was coming out, and I went to my local music store on release day to go get it to find out it's not even there. yeah. Hey man, where's the new warrant album? Warrant? Yeah, ultraphobic. It's release day today. Where's it at? Ha ha ha. Oh, you motherfuckers. And then I learned, you know, from here on out, if I want warrant, if I want Love Hate, if I want Ugly Kid Joe, if I want these kind of bands when they're released, when their albums are coming out. I've actually got to go to Sleeve Records ahead of time and talk to the dude and say, hey, man, in a couple of weeks, Warren's got a new album coming out. You think you could order me a copy of it? You better show up and buy it. I promise I will. Man, <laughs> man if I order that CD and it sits on my shelf and no one buys it. No, no, I promise I'll come pay for it. I'll buy it. I'll give you the money now if you want me to. <laughs> man. And then that's when I realized shit was changing and I didn't understand it.
1: You got to bargain with the record store owner to order the album that you're willing to pay for. Yep. That tells you what the demand was.
0: But I'm telling you, you know, you went into the Camelot music where you normally would go in the mall or whatever, because that's where all the cool people went on release day. And you go, where is it? And then the pimple-faced idiot at the counter laughs at you because you're looking for a Warrant album.
1: Well, I could be wrong, but if I'm remembering right, I ordered Ultraphobic through an ad that was in Metal Edge magazine. Yeah? I sent in, like, I had to cut out the little thing in, in the magazine and send it in with the check to order Ultraphobic. I'm pretty sure it was that album.
0: Children will never know the struggle.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, you had to do a lot of work to get an album back then. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Beg and plead and clip coupons and everything else.
1: I was excited for this record, though. Yeah, me too. Me too, especially after
0: Dog Eat Dog. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I was. I was ready. Yeah, I
0: know. In '95, it comes out. To me, I really like pretty much the whole thing. But man, is it different!
1: It's a strange album, and obviously, you bring in Kotak and Rick Steyer, um, Kingdom Come. You know, Louisville louisville bred guys yeah they were kind of like respected here in nashville because kingdom come played here a couple times but also um buster brown who was james Kotax band was yeah. kind of like a local legend here so they were like a big deal here so like warrant actually got traction in the nashville area because of those two guys joining the band i remember that Oh, nice. So I remember there was a little bit of hype for people in the local rock scene here, because like, wow, Warren's got the guys from Kingdom Come. And uh, it came in, and I I, I like that they went at least went back. I wanted to hear them do another record with Michael, but Bo Hill was a good choice to bring back. And I think the first three tracks on this are a great way to open a record. I love oh, yeah. the first three tracks on this. I think Undertow's got a killer chorus on it. I think it's got. I love the stripped down production because it still sounds good in the headphones. Right. It's it's like there were some bands that tried to do the garage rock thing and it didn't sound pleasing to the ear, but they still did it in a way where yeah, it was stripped down, but it still sounded good. Um, I think followed has like a really good groove to it. I think Family yeah. Picnic. I love the. I love the experimental sound to that, almost kind of like early 80s Yes with the guitar sound. And then the verse, melody, and the key are very similar in that song to Jungle on Carnival of Souls by Kiss. Oh, you, yeah. That makes sense. You can A-B them and you'll hear the same thing. Um, I think High is a great ballad. Um, some of one I don't like much. And then the title track, Ultraphobic I think is amazing and normally in any other case that would have been my best song on this record but man Stronger Now I think is the best thing Janie Lane ever wrote
4: I gave you my love and my respect but I could never make you love me back I denied it so You grow cold. My life became your prison, took its tone. I decided like a bird that's trapped inside a gilded cage. Tried to set it free, hurts to watch it fly. And I thought that it would kill me, but I made it through somehow. And I'm so much strong now. So much stronger now.
1: I think that song is so personal, simple. There's nothing fancy about it. But it's just one of those timeless songs where you listen to it. It doesn't matter what decade it came out in. That, in my opinion, is the pinnacle of his writing. And I wish Carrie Underwood or somebody would pick that song up and turn it into a hit because it's it's a radio hit ready to be recorded. Um, worst easily for me was Ride Number no. Two. Awful song. Can't stand it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that one got a plus on my list. <laughs>
1: oh god, that song is terrible.
0: <laughs> I mean, look at it. It's a ride number two. It's it's a weird, distorted song, but it's got like this killer heavy metal chorus. And I like the chorus. So the rest of the song's kind of weird. I like the chorus. And then there's like a funky bass breakdown in that song that's really cool that I like. So I gave that one a plus. <laughs> uh the title track, man, it's like a Cool Pearl Jam song. It's, it's great. Like, when I hear that, I was like, I, this sounds like like if Pearl Jam did this, this would be one of the Pearl Jam songs that I like. But, I mean, yeah, there's there's stuff on here. Live Inside of You, I like that. That's got a killer guitar solo. That's good. Maybe the most classic-sounding song on this album might be Live Inside of You.
1: There's moments where they hearken back to their old sound. But, yeah, but only little moments.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Crawl space, very very grunge influence, but it's still pretty damn cool. Chameleons, like a power ballad that yeah. maybe could have been like a hit song in the nineties. I kind
1: of like that one.
0: Yeah, summer one. That's another one. It's kind of a weird ballad, but it's got an awesome chorus. It's like the song is kind of weak leading up to it, but that chorus is so good, and the heavy breakdown in the song it's like it's it's pretty mellow and then it gets to a point where like the bottom just drops out of it that's and the it, only good part of the song yeah and it's kind of mind-blowing so that part is so good that it takes the rest of a song that's not that great and lifts it from a minus to a plus for me family picnic man awesome guitar funky bass it's heavy it's got a crazy ass video It sounds like a Soundgarden song with Janie Lane singing it, I think. That video is something else and it's it's about like abused children and it's got like the hotline number and everything on there pretty cool thing yeah, for Warren to do back then.
1: It's a heavy subject matter on that one.
0: Except for the fact that you know it's a commercial nobody ever saw because MTV never played it probably not one damn time. I'm certain I am certain they didn't even never play saw it one it. time. So then for me for my favorites it comes down to two and it's really tough because I love them both a lot, and it just kind of goes back and forth. I think the best song on here, man, Undertow's a great album opener, and it's got heavy guitar. It's got such a killer heavy groove to it. But man, Followed is a song that gets stuck in your head. Yeah, it's so it's one of those those earworms as they call them. It gets inside your head, and the next thing you know, you're humming it, and you're singing it everywhere you go. Hey, 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 hey. heavy groovy kind of vibe to it and it's one of my all-time favorite warrant songs between it and undertow i love them both but i think i'm just gonna give the edge to followed it's it's a great song and you said you like the song high yeah it's a great ballad it's the only minus that i got on mine really it sounds like something he wrote for alanis morissette It doesn't even sound like anything else on here. Well, I mean,
1: it, everything on there sounds, you know, outside of what your your comfort zone is.
0: Yeah, that's way outside my comfort zone. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> no, I, I get the Alanis Morissette comparison, thinking about it and hearing it in my head. Yeah, I get it.
0: Like, she um, could have done that song, and they'd have been playing that shit all over the radio, but Warrant, no, we're not doing that.
1: No, I get it, and, like, I do like some of that type of stuff, but... This album, and we'll get to Belly to Belly in a minute, but like this album, like especially through the first three songs, I r- I still remember listening to it because you know I was playing in bands at this time and I was still relatively young. I was just getting into college at this time when this came out, or actually I was graduating high school when this came out. But I remember listening to it because I was I was into the grunge stuff too, but I would also buy the new stuff by the hair bands. But I remember listening to those first three songs and thinking, Holy shit, they're pulling this off. Yeah. They're actually making this work, which was unheard of for any of those bands. And then the rest of the albums just kind of mixed, you know, it's like, well, they definitely front loaded it with the strongest stuff, but there's moments after that, but like that man, those first three songs, I remember thinking, Man, they've actually they've transitioned into the grunge phase.
0: Yeah, and sounded good doing it. Yeah but didn't lose so much of themselves that it sounded phony or like a different band you know it was like a kind of a progression out of dog eat dog like this is it's it's like dog eat dog in a way but then it's it's so much less than dog eat dog in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and i think that's got a lot to do with the fact that it's not Michael Wagner. You know? It's not and the,
1: Michael, and it's not the same personnel. It's it's right. Rick and James playing on guitar and drums.
0: And Bo Hills in a completely different place in his career yeah. at this point because you know you think about the bands that fell. You think about like the Enoughs and ups and the toughs and the and and Warrant. You know, it was, God, nobody got affected by this shit worse than Warrant. And you think about like the fall that they've taken in the the new grunge wave. But it's the producers too. You know, the guys that were associated with those bands of the previous era, especially a guy like Bo Hill, at this point, you know, Korn's not looking to get Bo Hill to come do
1: their album. No. You know? I, so honestly, he's kind
0: of stuck with bands like Warrant.
1: And honestly thinking looking back on this, I think an a really good albums unleashed that we could do would be with Bo Hill for this record. I would love to hear his thoughts on Thinking back on making this,
0: I'd love to hear that too. I'd love to be a part of it. Yeah, and before we move on, just because I'm not the ballad guy that you, know, you always want to throw at me, Stronger Now is amazing. Yeah, so good. Like, I almost feel like I have to pick one of the heavier songs because that's what I go to more often. But when I hear the song Stronger Now, man, that might be one of the greatest ballads ever freaking written that nobody's ever heard.
1: And yeah and I'll I'll die on this hill. I think Paul McCartney or John Lennon would would think that's a good song.
0: Oh, I know they would.
1: I, it's it's that good.
0: It's that good.
1: Yeah. It's an it's it's the pinnacle of his writing in my opinion.
0: It's something else, that's for sure. Well, unfortunately, Ultraphobic does not chart anywhere. No. Bombs. Warrant only plays about 10 shows in 1995, appropriately entitled The Radio or Not, Here We Come Tour. <laughs> in 1996, they get an opening slot with Slaughter on the Vince Neal Exposed Tour. That's got to be tough for them.
1: Was that 96?
0: Yeah. Wow, what a weird time. And then think about that. Like Warren's trying so hard to distance themselves as far away as they can from their party rock cherry pie days. I mean, but they're still getting on tours with Slaughter and Vince Neal. Yeah, you, you, gotta, go, you they, gotta go where your bills are paid. Exactly. Exactly. So no matter what they're trying to do, they're they're trapped. They're in they're on the rings of the black hole getting sucked down here. I mean, they're trying so hard to step away from all that that they even go as far as labeling themselves as warrant ninety six.
1: Terrible idea. Yeah. On
0: October first, nineteen ninety six Warrant releases their fifth studio album, Belly to Belly, Volume 1. And if you think Ultraphobic was a default from what they were before, oh boy, hang on for this one.
1: Yeah, and they put this out on CMC. And like we should mention, we will do another Label Wars episode um, because I know you guys want to hear our thoughts on this. But CMC was essentially the frontiers of the 90s. Yes, it was any any 80s rock band could find safe haven on CMC. I don't know who ran it. That's another reason I want to do another label wars episode, because I'd love to dig into the story behind CMC. I'm sure there's something interesting there. And thank God for them. No, no, they were they were the safe haven for these bands
0: because otherwise they'd have just been gone. Hey, whatever happened to Warren? Who the fuck knows? You
1: know? Yeah. And it was just rock. It had to have been rock fans that just were like, well, fuck it. I'm going to pay for this.
0: Yeah, damn right. I'm going to go down there and demand you order me a copy of it, and I swear I'll come pay for it. Had to do the same thing with this one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but belly to belly, I thought it was notable that produced by Jerry Dixon, Janie Lane, Stefan Neary, Rick Steyer, and Eric Turner. So too many cooks in the kitchen is a real thing.
0: Yeah, none of them are producers.
1: And uh, in my opinion, for everything they got right, doing the change in style on Ultraphobic, but still doing it convincingly, they got it wrong on this record. Yeah. Um, it's a desperate attempt at following trends. And it's on Ultraphobic, they got away with it because the songs were strong. But on this one, it's not saved by any good strong songs, in my opinion. Um, Ex-Beggars and Thieves drummer Bobby Borg replaces James Kodak on this album. Does a good job drumming. I have no complaints there. But like, man, this album, Jesus Christ. Uh, In the end, there is nothing. is the beginning of the album. So it's like, well, we're going to start off on a very depressing note. And that song sounds like a stab at Radiohead and kind of fails miserably doing it. Feels good is them trying to sound like the Cranberries. I mean, Janie even tries to do the whole vocal effect that the girl from the Cranberries does.
0: I could totally hear that.
1: And I'm listening back to it I'm like what the fuck was he thinking and then AYM which is Angry Young Man sounds just like an STP song All For You has like a enough's enough slash Beatles type sound Coffee House is fucking awful Vertigo is okay I guess so if I gotta pick a best and worst I'm gonna pick Letter To A Friend is the best only because it's got a great chorus
4: Milk spreads out across the floor, we both agree it's not worth crying for.
1: would pick nobody else that's absolutely terrible hmm okay so for me on this
0: one there's a handful of pluses but quite a few minuses on here i really really wanted to like this so bad because i mean when you're going out of your way to give your money ahead of time to the guy at the record store to make sure he'll order it for you and you're going through that whole damn process and you get that cd believe me brother You want to love it. But this one was tough. In the end, there's nothing. Man, what a weird album opener. I mean, if you consider your album opener to be the thing that's going to, boom, set the vibe, this kind of works in a bad way. (laughs) It's so unlike anything else Warren's ever done. It's like some kind of hippie, trippy, psychedelic. It's not great. Feels good. I don't know. I kind of like that one. It's really different. It's really, really different, and it's definitely alternative rock. Alternative to what? I don't know. <laughs> but it's weird, but it's still kind of cool. Letter to a Friend. I don't know. I gave that one a minus. It is a weird ballad, but it's got a good chorus, and it's got a nice message, and it's got like the story lyrics and everything. The lyrics, I think, save it more than anything well, because the song's not that great, but the no. poetry is good.
1: The chorus is literally the only thing that got it a vote. <laughs> yeah,
0: it is a pretty good chorus for the rest of the song being kind of strange. Yeah. Um, Indian Giver, I think that one's a really great song. I would. I think that would have fit on Dog Eat Dog. It's got a really great groove to it. That That's one of the high points on the album is Indian Giver. Hmm. Uh, solid, I like that one too. It's a heavy, groovy song. It sounds like... I don't know. It's a cool Pearl Jam song. It's it's good. I like it's it. It's okay. got great guitars to it. Uh, all for you. This one I gave it a minus, but there it's weird. It's like it's like an Alice in Chains ballad with Janie Lane as Lane Staley and a Stevie Nicks impersonator as Jerry Cantrell.
1: See, I thought it sounded like it. Enough's enough.
0: It's weird. It's a weird song all around. Coffee House. I kind of like. Ugh. I was worried when I saw the title of the track list for this, and I was like, Coffee House? Now, I know these guys are trying to be weird and different now than what they were before, but when I think of music and I think of Coffee House, I think of, like, people playing music in a coffee house, and that's not Warrant. But this song it's actually kind of heavy. It's got, like, this old outlaw country bass line to it. It's so unwarrant. So unwarrant. But it's I don't know. It's just still something kind of cool about it. Vertigo is absolutely, without doubt, the most warrant song on the album. That one's just a heavy rocker. Room with a View is a mostly acoustic ballad that's got some pretty cool lyrics. I'll give it that. And Otherwise, it kind of sucks. Nobody Else. This is another one. The Chorus is really cool, but then it's got like these weird jazz breakdowns in it <laughs> that really suck, really suck. But then the chorus is so good, but then the, it bounces back and forth like, hey, this is pretty cool. Oh, man, this is awful. Hey, man, I kind of like this. Oh, man, that kind of sucks. You know, It's hard to listen to a song like that because you don't know if you should be bobbing your head or cringing. Uh, let's see. Worst on here, I got to give it to Falling Down. You know, I That's talked about that, that other song sounded like a cool Pearl Jam song. This one sounds like a Pearl Jam song, but not a good one.
1: No, oh, it's awful.
0: It's bad. It just kind of drones on. It's pretty lame. Yeah, really bad. For the best, this probably should have been the song that opened the album. It's a heavy-ass tune. They did it in one take. Written as kind of a shot at the grunge gimmick, but, you know, rocks, paper houses, however that works. Shouldn't do that. AYM, Angry Young Man. Just a heavy rockin' tune. I like it. You know, like, when I'm listening to this, I go... Okay, that first song really sucks, and then the next one's like, man, this is pretty weird too, and then the next song's like, oh man, this one's not very good either. And then finally it's like, okay, all right, here's something. I like this, you know, and then it follows up with Indian Giver, which is really good. And then there's just spots after that, but I mean, Angry Young Man, Indian Giver, Solid Vertigo, really them are the I think the best songs yeah. on here
1: we're not far off on that. Angry young man I think musically is okay. It's it's it might be the best musically on the record but it's just such an obvious STP rip off.
0: But like, then again, you know when you're talking about Janie Lane you're talking about how this guy can like put his emotions on you when you hear him through your headphones man that's an angry fucking song Oh,
1: lyrically it's right on with what he was living with at the time
0: and the delivery is what I'm saying like you can feel like you can imagine him fucking screaming this with spit coming out of the corner of his mouth and he's fucking angry you know you feel it A lot of frustration and I can see you know you're man these guys are fighting a battle that's so hard they're trying to not be the cherry pie guys but you can't be this you can't just change to that you know because it's not acceptable I was reading a article or something where D Snyder around this time had said you know yeah we're going back out and yeah we're wearing all the stuff He goes, but, you know, it's 1996 and nobody wants to see Janie Lane wearing baggy pants with a wallet chain. Right. But that's kind of what they were doing, you know, and it's like, like I said, from the very beginning of this band, Janie Lane has a way to mimic something but still make it his own. And he did that a lot throughout the career of Warren so far, whether it's Poison or Whitesnake or Aerosmith or Def Leppard or all the bands that you know, they're touring with and all the things that are happening at the time, these guys are able to hit that pretty good and go, okay, we can do that too. We can do it a little bit different in our own way, but we can do that too. And comes off and people that love that stuff go, yep, we like that band also. But I can tell you, in 96, people that were listening to Pearl Jam and listening to Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, unless you're playing them something like this and being like, hey, let me play you something, but I'm not going to tell you who it is until it's over, they're not going to have it. And even if they do say, hey, you know what? That's pretty cool. I like that. And you'd be like, yeah, well, it's the new album by Warrant. They're going to be like, oh, fuck that, you know, because that's <laughs> how it was back then.
1: I'll tell you, the I remember I did not buy Belly to Belly new. I ended up getting it. had a friend that bought it new, and then I dubbed off his copy, and I was very glad when I listened to it that I hadn't bought it.
0: Yeah, I had a lot of emotional
1: investment into that. Well, it's like, ultraphobic I liked, but it was so such a mixed bag that I was like, I'm going to wait and listen to this before I buy it, the next one. And then belly to belly, you know, and like we talked about how Dog Eat Dog and Slave to the Grind were kind of sister albums. It almost reminds me of like, what was that album Slaughter put out around this time? Not It wasn't Fear No Evil. I don't think it was... Um, Revolution? Revolution. This reminds me kind of like their version of uh, Revolution.
0: That was another album I had to pre-purchase. Yep,
2: <laughs> where
1: they were both kind of like, you. these bands are lost in the wilderness right now. Yeah, I like that album too, though. I do too. I, I Actually, well, that one's better than Belly to Belly. Belly to yeah. Belly is the worst thing that the Janie Lane version of the band put out.
0: Yeah. Yep, and when you're not getting any airplay and you're not getting any respect and people have to like really search hard and high and low to get your album, even if they want it real bad, Belly Belly doesn't chart anywhere. Mm -mm. And again, this band that's trying to distance themselves from the Sunset Strip as far as they can, they go on tour with the L.A. Guns.
1: (laughs) The L.A. Guns.
0: Well, it might have been D.L.A. Guns around that time. I don't know. It's tough to present yourself as a new alternative rock band when Sony is releasing greatest hits albums <laughs> featuring music from your first three albums, and these collections are selling more than what your current album is. Yeah,
1: the writing's kind of on the wall.
0: Yeah, but Warrant carries on. They joined Slaughter and Dokken as opening acts for the Alice Cooper tour in 1997. Warrant releases their own Greatest Hits live album, recorded in 1996. I like that one a lot. Yeah, that's pretty cool. In 1998, Warrant joins the first ever Rock Never Stops tour alongside L.A. Guns, Quiet Riot, and Slaughter. This is the Janie Lane Mohawk era.
1: You saw that tour, right?
0: I sure did. He even met Janie Lane. I'll tell you that story. I don't know if I, if it, if I haven't. It's been a while. It's a pretty wild story. So I'm pretty new in radio. I guess I've been at it for a while. So I'm new on the Rock Station. And this is one of the first concerts where I actually get to go backstage and stuff. And I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. And what I remember about that show was it, it was at a place called Eli's Mile High in Wasa, Wisconsin. And it's the Rock Never Stops Tour, L.A. Guns, Quiet Riot, Slaughter. I think maybe even Firehouse might have been on that. Was it a club or a theater? It was a club, but the event was outdoors, so it was like one of the stages that butts up against the back,
1: like we, the Ugly Kid Joe. Show, yeah, kind of like that.
0: Year. And but inside the bar is now kind of like the backstage area, so the bar is closed. Everybody's outside, but I've got my Pure Rock z One Hundred Four pass, so I can go on back there and be like, "Well, there's there's Tracy Guns, you know, and there's Kevin Dubrow." Walking around, there's Slaughter over there. It's awesome. So what happens is the opening bands all play. The main two bands are Warrant and Quiet Riot. And even earlier in the week on the radio show, I was talking about like, I don't know, I kind of feel like Warrant should be headline in this. I've always been a bigger Warrant fan than a Quiet Riot fan, and I opened up the phone lines and let people voice their opinions. And, you know, I think most people agreed with me that Warrant should have been headline in that day. So then the day of the show comes And Slaughter's played, and L.A. Guns has already played. This is when L.A. Guns had the lead singer who's now in Steel Panther.
1: Oh, Ralph.
0: Yeah, that version of L.A. Guns. And they're already done. And so now here's Quiet Riot, and they're standing around backstage. I'll never forget this because I'm standing there just kind of, you know, keeping quiet while everybody else is talking, and I'm like, wow, what's going on here? And so they go, well, fuck, where are they? And I go, we don't know. They're like, so I deduce that Quiet Riot's supposed to be headlining, but Warren's not here. And it's been a minute since LA Guns had wrapped up their set. So finally, it gets to the point, and I I'll always remember looking at Rudy Sarzo, and he looks so pissed. And they go, fuck it, let's go. And so Quiet Riot hits the stage, and they're not two notes in their first song. And here comes the warrant bus rolling up. And I think, if I remember right, like this was the era where everybody having a cell phone was starting to become a thing. So I got the feeling like somebody was at the show and somebody was on the bus. And as soon as Quiet Riot hit the stage, the call was made it was like, roll on up. Because <laughs> that's exactly how it went down. Now I'm still backstage in the bar area. And they come in, and there's Janie Lane. And so I go, oh, shit, it's Janie Lane. You know, I fucking love this dude. And so I go up, I sit next to him. I don't even remember what the conversation was, but I do remember this. He said, if you're drinking with me, you're drinking Jack Daniels. And I said, okay, two Jack Daniels right over here. And he takes his and goes, gulp. And I take mine and go, oh, God, this tastes so bad. (laughs) Because I wasn't a Jack Daniels drinker, but I wanted to hang out with Janie Lane for a minute. And then when Choir Eye was done and Warrant went up, then I went down in the crowd and watched the show. So I had a moment with Janie Lane, and I remember he was nice and he was cool, and he had a mohawk.
1: <laughs> yeah, his mohawk phase. That was a that was a weird time.
0: He said that was inspired by Tracy Guns and quite possibly a dare.
1: Oh, man. That was, like, that was also during the time that he would like bum cigarettes off people on the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Metal Sludge had a field day with him during those years.
0: He must have learned that from Trickster. Yeah, maybe. It'd be like, you can just ask people for cigarettes all the time. You don't have to feel bad about it. be like, yeah, no, man, it's called interacting, you know? <laughs> Which, I mean, if Janie Lane asked me for a cigarette, I'd give him sure. one. would be like, fuck yeah, I'm standing here having a smoke with Janie Lane. This
1: is great. Well, I gave Peter Chris one when I met him.
0: Sure, you know, so in a, in a kind of a way, it does become interacting, but then it's also kind of funny because you look like a bum. Oh, sure. So there's that, and then in 1999, Warren enters the studio to re-record classic era songs with the inclusion of two new songs and one unreleased song, and the result is 1999's latest and greatest. Now, to me, this is another... I'm such a mm, such a fan of this band... I bought this one too, and this was another one I had to tell them, hey, get that for me. And I would pay for it every time. They probably said, you know, oh, here comes Cherry Pie Guy every time I walked in the door. (laughs) 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 But I liked the new versions of the classics because they were kind of. The way that like Cherry Pie was so glossy and Down Boy so glossy, you know, that early 90s, late 80s sound where everything had like a a real sheen to it, you know, a sheen of perfection. These songs, they were unperfected, you know, and they were more raw. And I kind of like the new versions of the classics. But the best thing about this album was the three songs. You got the Joneses, which is totally classic Sony, would fit on Cherry Pie perfectly and is just an awesome song
4: let's go celebrate
0: got another one called southern comfort which i mean these songs are so far away from belly to belly that you didn't even like i remember hearing these songs going what's wrong with these 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 are great and that was co-written with songwriter todd meager around 94 and then bad tattoo i think was an older song that is totally dog eat dog Mm -hmm. style and just killer man all three of the newer songs on this album are amazing, and the new versions of the classics are even kind of a treat, I think.
1: And for me, this album, so I was, by 99, well, I wasn't buying music in general in 99. I was fucked up on drugs. but So I was kind of off the train in general with Warrant by this point. So I didn't get into this album until way after it came out. and But I remember listening to it, and like the Jones is like a, it's like a cheap trickish type sound, you know. Totally. And the lyrical melodies are awesome. Southern Comfort has that swampy slide guitar to it. Yeah. That's great. Bad Tattoo, I would call it filler, but it's killer filler.
0: Yeah, it's really good.
1: It's like on a song that has all good songs, this would fit.
4: Yeah. I heard it about you. It About you, I hope it's all true. Yeah, everything you do makes me shake, makes me rattle, makes me roll right over.
1: Like I, I remember listening, to, I listened, it must have been like 2010 maybe, not long before I started the podcast, that I, that I got this record. And hearing those three songs, I was like, why the fuck was this not used around Belly to Belly? This is what people wanted from them.
0: Exactly. But when Belly to Belly came out, it was still 1996. Stevie Rochelle had not come out with American Hairband yet. Right. That's the turning point. So we're still, it's 1999 now even. Well,
1: and I do like the re-records, like you said. I I like the kind of the stripped-down, bare-bones re-records of the old stuff.
0: Yeah, I actually prefer some of them versions. I know that's not right, and you shouldn't feel that way, but I actually do. I actually like some of these versions better.
1: But it shows off the strength of the songwriting.
0: Right, that's true. That's true. It's not so slick and poppy, so you can just really concentrate on the song for what it is. Yeah. So then, from there, Warrant only plays a handful of shows in 1999. In the year 2000 through early 2001, they play scattered shows with Rat, Poison, and L.A. Guns. Then, in the summer of 2001, Warrant joins up with the Glam Slam Metal Jam Tour with Great White, Quiet Riot, and Enough's Enough. And that's headlined by Poison, it's 2001, post-American hairband, this shit's cool again. Right. On drums, like you said, James Kotak's been gone. Well, now Bobby Borg's in, now he's gone too. Mike Fasano is in on drums.
1: Known as The Sack.
0: The Sack. And the reason
1: for that nickname is exactly what you might think.
0: Yeah. You can read up on that one on Old Metal Sludge too. Right. In the Vintage Archives. On guitar, Rick Steyer is out, Carrie Kelly is in. Oh, Oh, Carrie Kelly's gone to slash the snake pit, and now Billy Morris is in. It's around this time that Warrant releases a covers album, which is technically their sixth studio album, and their final album with Janie Lane. It's nine classic rock covers plus two brand new songs, and it's under the influence. You got thoughts on this one?
1: I like it for the most part. It's it's not one I go back to that often, but um, I don't know. I love the uh, the Dead Jailer Rock and Roll cover is awesome. I like that one. I like their Surrenders good. I just and that's one of those things where maybe on Greatest and Latest with the Jones, like I you know you forget about how much of a I Janie Lane had to have been a big Robin Zander fan. Yeah. Cause like you, you really do hear the cheap trick influence on their stuff if you really pay attention to it so made sense for that suffragette city great down payment blues great but then you get the the two new songs on here which were or unreleased songs I should say because who knows when these were recorded but subhuman that Janie wrote by himself is is really good I like that one a lot. Face which Janie and Carrie Kelly co-wrote and I think that could have been a big hit back in the day I kind of wish those two had written more together it sucks that the the Carrie Kelly version of the band was so short lived but I think those two could have done some great things
4: together It's hard to live in a world this quiet, and if you want me to let you go, I think you should know that I try not to live without you, but it doesn't work for me I
0: Yeah, those new songs are cool. They got the belly-to-belly sound to them for sure, but man, these songs probably should have been on belly-to-belly in the place of something else. But I think out of the covers, my favorite song on here is the Thin Lizzy cover of Hollywood, I mean that really works as a warrant song.
4: Yeah. Nobody give a damn when you're down on your Nobody understands when you down on your
0: something else too by hearing that i go you know i bet you Janie lane was listening to some thin lizzy too quite a bit when he was younger oh sure because there's a lot of thin lizzy swagger on a lot of their stuff too
1: i'm not a big fan of the thin lizzy version of hollywood i think i might even like the warrant version better yeah Uh, yeah i uh that era of thin lizzy is not the greatest but yeah that they do they definitely do a good cover of it but i always like that warrant kind of you know wore their influences on their sleeves.
0: That they definitely did. So then that's that. That's the last recording with Janie Lane. The Glam Slam Metal Jam Tour ends three weeks early after Bobby Dahl of Poison suffers a severe injury. In 2002, Warrant joins the Metal Edge Rockfest Tour with Firehouse, LA Guns, Dockin' and Rat. Now this is the era of all these tours where all these bands team up. It was great when they come to your town after that, 2003, Warren joins Whitesnake, Winger, and Slaughter on the Rock Never Stops tour. I think I've seen that one too. Warren's usually pretty high on these bills, on these tours, but never the headliners. Mm. And, you know, it's like although they try to distance themselves from that scene, they continuously end up on these tours with bands of that era. But yet they don't, it's like it's such a contradiction for them. It's like we don't want to hang out with you guys, but we kind of have to
1: yeah and i think in the ultraphobic belly to belly era they probably wanted to be playing with younger bands that were doing the the thing they were going after but i mean the payday is not going to come through that it's right. going to come through these rock never stops tours and i don't know but like belly to belly somebody had equated that album with some some another band from that time but i'm drawing a blank now but they uh they probably wanted to be oh, jellyfish, you know, somebody thought they had jellyfish had an influence on them during belly to belly,
0: yeah, I think King's X a little bit too,
1: yeah, I can hear that too,
0: because they'd spent some time with them, well, and then to your point, that when they're not doing the glam slam jams and all that stuff, that they're playing like single shows, but they've got like I looked at like the concert archives website. And was kind of trying to piece the timeline together with that and matching it up with other stuff and seeing how everything worked and how many shows and this and that and where at. When they're not doing the jam tours, the metal rock tours, they're playing one-off shows with like bands like Oleander opening up for them. And a lot of bands I never heard of that must have been like up and coming bands. So it's like, you know, they're they're doing alter egos like during the day. We're Warrant, Down Boys, Cherry Pie, Heaven. Sometimes she cries. But at night, we're Warrant 96. We're Coffee Shop. In 2005, yeah. <laughs> Just call us Coffee Shop.
1: <laughs> we're Vertigo.
0: They almost should have done that. I didn't, but I, mean, I didn't know
1: they did dates with like Oleander and some yep. lesser known. But that, that actually makes me feel good. I hate that it didn't work, but at least they made a real, you know, effort at doing it.
0: Right. And then when he's interviewed around this time and they're talking about, you know, what are you listening to? It's always young bands from that era. He's not ever saying, yeah, I'm, I like the new Rad album or I like yeah. what Winger's doing right now. You know, it's it's always him trying to promote, like, these younger bands that were new at that time. And so... It's not completely phony, you know, it's it's really what they're trying to do, you know, it's not like they're doing it because we need to make money because even at times in these interviews and even the years coming up, you know, because things get pretty dark from here on out, but even later on, Janie Lane's like, you know, I could stay home and I could collect my cherry pie and my heaven checks and not have to be out here doing this. I'm out here doing this because I want to be out here doing this. Yeah. And so there's an authenticity to that.
1: Well, that's kind of the saddest thing of all. Um, but also inspiring too, because like you said, Janie probably could have lived comfortably on his royalties from cherry pie alone. Um, yeah. Probably would have been okay. But it's, it was the, you know, kind of the, the searching for artistic progression that kind of pushed these guys all those years. and, it must have been hard going through all those years doing ultraphobic doing belly to belly you know and then Janie later on is having to you know he's doing his solo records he's doing everything and then he's having to slum it with Great White to fill in as their singer at the right. very end Yeah
0: yeah that's all coming up too cuz I mean at the end of that tour then the rock never stops Janie Lane releases his solo album yeah and then he checks into rehab Was that then-
1: back down to 1 Yep. Yeah.
0: Not a great album. I was listening to some of that today, and it's like, man, I really hope for something more of this. I think, kind of the trend then, and I think guys like Jack Russell and a lot of the other ones did it too. They passed their prime. I guess past your prime is not really the right way to say it, but past your time in the spotlight, I guess maybe, right. and. You know, then 2001 comes around and then things kind of change. So now it's like, okay, people are starting to remember me fondly again for the stuff that I had done in the past. Now it's time for me to release my solo album full of ballads and pop songs. Yeah. And that never worked for these guys either. Janie Lane's solo album didn't chart anywhere or anything. The most notable thing about it is the album cover. Which created controversy because it's like Janie Lane standing there, and he's got like chalk outlines of four bodies below his feet.
1: I never looked at it like that.
0: And so people assumed that it's a shot at the band. You know, oh, back wow. down to one. These guys are dead to me. I'm moving forward. Oh, but it it ended up to be just kind of a misunderstanding. Like the artist thought it was cool or something.
1: Janie was so emotional. I wouldn't be shocked if that yeah. was the case.
0: Yeah, so then after he quits Warrant and releases that solo album, he decides he's going to start touring as Warrant. But the rest of the band shuts that shit down real quick.
1: I don't even remember that. Yeah. He was going to do a tour as Warrant?
0: Yeah, with a new band, and but he didn't have the rights to it, so they, yeah, that didn't go anywhere.
1: Yeah, I missed that.
0: So then in 2005, Janie's touring with a new band, and he's just out there as Janie Lane. In an interview, Janie says he's got over 200 unreleased songs And that including songs that were intended for a 2004 Warrant album, and he still, at this time in 2005, wants to get together with the original band and record those songs, which we know never happens. So speaking of the original band, they bring back Joey Allen and Steven Sweet once Janie Lane leaves the band, and they recruit former black and blue vocalist Jamie St. James, they hit the road, and Janie joins the VH1 Metal Mania Strip Tour, along with Don Dawkins, Stephen Piercy, and Kip Winger. In 2006, Warrant releases Born Again, but that doesn't really do anything. And then Warrant just tours a lot. And Janie Lane does shows here and there, and that's where they're at in 2007. By January 2008, Janie Lane's back in Warrant. That whole experiment with the dude from Black and Blue, that didn't work. Not a great idea.
1: Not a great record.
0: Not a great record either, no sir. And then Janie Lane's back in Warren in 2008. The classic lineup reunites for Rock, LaHoma 2008, and they hit the road with Tom Kiefer's band until August when that tour is canceled due to Tom Kiefer blowing out his voice. Then Warren keeps touring, and by September, Janie Lane's out again. But Warrant, they don't skip a beat. They pick up former lynch mob vocalist Robert Mason, and they keep going and going and going. Mason finishes up the tour, and then he agrees to become the permanent lead vocalist of Warrant. Janie Lane would team up with Kerry Kelly, Robbie Crane, and Bobby Blotzer to form the band Saints of the Underground, who would release their only album, Love the Sin, Hate the Sinner, in 2008. That album's a gem.
1: I never got to hear that one.
0: That is pretty good. There's some filler on there, no doubt, but there are some songs on there that are quite tasty. I recommend it.
1: I remember a discussion about it on the internet, but I never listened to it.
0: Yeah, after that, because they just do the album. They don't go on tour or nothing. Janie's doing select shows. He appears on a bunch of different tribute albums. He even writes a song for an Alice Cooper album that makes it. And there's even that period of time there where he is the touring vocalist of Great White for a little bit in 2010.
2: He
1: also did uh, Celebrity Fit Club on VH1. That's
0: right. That's right. I was trying to remember. I thought he was on some re- some reality Wait-loss,
1: show. I... a Celebrity Weight Loss Show. And he did good on it, didn't he? He did. He was actually pretty inspiring on it. Yeah, pretty Everybody awesome. Everybody was so rooting for this guy. Yeah,
0: yep. Yeah. And then... Warrant, you know, they just tour and tour and tour and tour, and they're still touring to this day. If they, if you haven't seen the current version of Warrant, you must not have stepped outside your house because they're they're nonstop touring all the time. And then, of course, come August eleventh, two thousand eleven, pretty unexpectedly, I guess, depending on who you ask, Janie Lane is dead. Yeah, found dead in a hotel room
1: by himself they say it was alcohol poisoning. The guy had trouble, man. I did a deep dive into his death the last few days and uh yeah. um, such a sad way to go. And like he he got a room at the Comfort Inn in Woodland Hills and which is like 45 minutes outside of LA and and I actually found out that he had pleaded with Bobby Brown to let him like rent a room from her at her place and she turned him down. Um, which I can't blame her. I mean, that's her ex-husband,
0: and he's in pretty rough shape.
1: Yeah, and she knew what his vices were, so it's like you can't have that in your house. And uh, he checked into that Comfort Inn, and like another sad thing is when they found his body, he had like a card that a friend had filled out, like saying, "Hi, I'm Janie Lane. Here's my address," and blah blah blah, because like somebody knew that he was probably on his way out and then also the the 911 call is on youtube if you really want to listen to it from the hotel and basically the maid had found his body saw it in the room told the front desk the front desk calls 911 and the people the 911 are saying can you go to the room and try to do cpr and they're like no w- w- we really don't want to so they had to wait for paramedics to show up but from what of, my understanding, he died in his sleep, and he had, who yeah. knows how long he had been dead for.
0: Yeah, that's probably one of them deals like, well, it's really no point in doing that. Right. He's just clearly gone.
1: Awful way to go, and he is somebody I would have loved to have seen pull through and overcome the demons, but, man, yeah. just a tortured genius for sure.
0: Well, and you mentioned it earlier in the show, too, like, and it made me think, what would Janie Lane, like if he could have turned it around, If he would have cleaned himself up and would have really put himself into the music that he loved to write, I think he would be somebody that people like Carrie Underwood and people like that would be clamoring for to get to write songs for them now.
1: I can picture it. I think he would have made the move to Nashville, started writing in the circles here, reconnected with Michael Wagner, probably put out some solo stuff, and become a giant songwriter here in Nashville.
0: Because if you look at him throughout his career and his writing style, and like we've mentioned here through this so many times, like he could lend himself to any kind of style. Like one minute, you're doing this beautiful, sweet love ballad about being in love. And then the next song is this heavy, hard, thrashing, just ripping song. And then here's this sexy song about banging. And now here's this rock song about having fun. And now we're going to write about this very serious thing, you know, child abuse. And now it's, you know, he and he could do it to all different things. Like this song's going to sound kind of like Journey. And this one's going to be like a hit single, what what you'd want to hear on the radio. And this one's going to be something that's going to make you think and feel, you know. And he could write in so many different veins and styles that if he would have had the opportunity to really get to the age where he would mellow out. And go, you know what? I could really help a lot of people and make myself a lot of dime. In the meantime, you know, he could have really been super, super successful, I would think. Because, I mean, you look at back at some of these songs, you go, man, if somebody covered that nowadays, it'd be a huge hit. And there's so many songs like that deep in the cuts of these albums that a lot of people don't even know. You know, yeah. this guy may have been the most misunderstood, most talented individual maybe ever in rock
1: oh well, i don't think you're wrong and i do think that's where the cherry pie stigma really affected him so it's like it that he got type just like with actors like uh the guy that played kramer on seinfeld like it's like he became the and he said it on his own in an interview you know he became the cherry pie guy yeah and like um actually doing my deep dive on research for this apparently there is a biopic called cherry pie guy that's in production about him wow uh, that's supposed to come out but um but no like you said he um he could have transcended rock and roll and done other styles and i think could have been a very in-demand person much like a desmond child right probably could have followed the same path if he had made the right decisions
0: yeah pretty wild man we lost a good one there
1: Yeah, but, you know, tons of great music that he left behind and uh, why you're listening to this now.
0: Right. And hopefully his family one day will come across those 200 plus songs, probably way more than that by now. And maybe we'll get some of that stuff released over time. Would be really cool. As for Warrant, man, they're damn good. You know, in 2011, they released Rockaholic. In 2017, they released Louder, Harder, Faster. I think we've got something new coming from them in the future. Yeah. I don't really hear Warrant of what I knew when I hear them now. I think they're a great rock band that carries the name Warrant and carries those classic songs and also writes new stuff. But when you got a singer that's a strong personality as Robert Mason, kind of like we say about Glenn Hughes, anything he's involved with almost becomes the Robert Mason band. All right. That's kind of what Warrant is now, and that's not a knock. Because their albums, that last one in 2017, had some really great songs on it. Sure. And I like them a lot. And they're in my style of music that I love. And when they roll through, I go see them. And Metal Mike and I got to meet Robert Mason one time. And that dude is cool as hell. And he even told a story about how one time some guys were picking on him. And Janie Lane come up and stuck up for him. Oh, that's cool. So it was almost like a pre, pre-blessing. Yeah. Way we, years before any any of that ever happened.
1: Well, and the the way I view it with the the rest of the guys in the band, because you know, they've kind of gotten very maligned over the years by Janie fans. You know, like, well, Janie wrote all the songs, and you guys are bitter, and you guys never, don't give him credit. But like at the same time, you got to view it from their perspective. Like these guys, yeah, Janie may have written most of the stuff. He was the mastermind of this band. That 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 is undisputable but those guys were a giant part of it too. Yeah. And this is their livelihood. So like you can't really blame them for going on and trying to pursue music, but also they're keeping that guy's music alive. I don't think there's anything to be angry about here. You know, uh, they, they may not have given the tribute that you wanted, but at the same time, they're keeping that music alive. And I agree with you, Aaron, I don't think (laughs) the new albums with Mason really have anything of the warrant stamp on them. I can't, there, if I really stretch, I might be able to like, well, I can kind of picture Janie doing this song, but most of it doesn't have his stamp on it. But that's fine. They're still doing the classics in concert, and they're still a decent working band, and that Louder, Harder, Faster album, I thought in particular, was pretty good.
0: Yeah, I think so too. So I think it's good they're keeping it alive. You know, kind of mentioning that, this is totally back off key, but when that album came out that had Jamie St. James on it, yeah, I feel like there's a couple of songs on there that might have been written by Janie Lane, but not credited.
2: Hmm. I'll there's go a back and listen. There's
0: a couple of songs on there that, and I might be totally wrong about that, but it just seems like it. And if the, if he was writing songs for that album, and then it never came out, but then there's songs on there that really got that Janie Lane vibe to him. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying.
1: Conspiracy theory started right now. That's
0: what I'm saying.
4: <laughs> Clickbait.
0: Oh yeah, I'm gonna be. My predictions will be up there with yours on the Blabbermouth pretty soon.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just make a post and say, you know, I wonder, and yeah. then maybe Blabbermouth will pick it up just like they did mine. That was so stupid. <laughs>
0: So there you have it. That is the best and worst of Warrant, the Janie Lane years. Man, some great stuff in there. I hope we inspired you to give this band a chance if you haven't before. I hope we did it justice if you are as big of fans of this band as we are. And you know what? Stuff like this is fun for us. We want to know, what do you think of this version of Warrant? I mean, the classic era. Are you? Do you love it? Is it something that were you like the guy that picked on me for wearing my Blood, Sweat, and Beers t-shirt? Oh, man, I miss that shirt. I love that so much. But I would get picked on for wearing it. Or were you someone like me that had the Warrant T-shirt on and loved this stuff all along? Let us know in the comments section when you're seeing this on our Facebook page and in the Decibel Geek community. If you're not joined up on the Decibel Geek community, go ahead and do that on Facebook. That's where all the rock and rollers are hanging out, and they're talking about Warrant. They're talking about the new bands. They're talking about the old bands and everything else in between. That's the place the conversation's happening at, Get involved in that. Hey while you're on Facebook, why don't you drop us one of those sweet recommendations, huh? Why not? We know you're on there anyway. And I think I think I'd like to end this episode with something special.
2: Okay
0: So in 2016, Enoughs Enough came out with an album called Clown's Lounge. And what it was was like demos and unreleased songs from throughout the years that Chip had put together and released this album in 2016. But on that album is a song called The Devil of Shakespeare, and it features Janie Lane on vocals, and it's outstanding. So I think we could end it with that. What do you think? Sounds good to me. All right, this is the Decibel Geek Podcast, brought to you by Pantheon Podcast. Check them out for your new favorite music podcast. They've got all the best ones, and we will catch you right back here next time on the Decibel Geek Podcast. See ya.